Welcome to Bed Crime Stories. I'm your host, T. Good day to you all. I hope you're all doing well. Before I jump in, let me just ask that if you enjoy my videos, do me a favor, smash that like button, and subscribe to my channel. Those are free ways you can help me on this journey. And if you want to support the channel and my hard work, please consider a Patreon membership. There's a link to Patreon in the description. If I can get enough memberships, then I can let loose with my word choice and call a murder a murder instead of saying things like red rum, the big M, you get the picture. And if you can't afford a monthly membership, hey, I still love you. And maybe you can once in a while send me a super chat. With that out of the way, let's dig in. It took 13 years to track down the man accused of taking the lives of three of the young women found deceased along a remote stretch of Ocean Beach Parkway and Gilgo Beach in Long Island. All that time, this guy was allowed to roam free. Scary thought. There's a fourth victim that he will likely be charged with as well, Maureen Brainard Barnes. Because of the close proximity of where the four victims were clustered close to each other, they came to be known as the Gilgo Four. But they have names and they are loved by their families. They are Megan Waterman, Melissa Bartholomew, Amber Costello, and again, Maureen Brainard Barnes, 59-year-old architect, Rex Hewerman from Massapequa, Long Island, after being under 24-hour surveillance for quite some time, was arrested and charged last week for first and second degree murder for three of these four victims. It's important to note that in addition to these four victims, seven other sets of remains were found, and it's unclear if Hoyerman is a suspect in those cases. It would be strange to have two serialists using the same remote dumping ground. And I've heard criminal profilers say that it's almost certain that a guy like Hoyerman likely started harming people earlier in life, most likely in his mid-twenties. And the authorities are now looking to see where he lived and traveled over the years to see if there are any unsolved cold cases that align with him and his modus operandi. They're looking not just just in Suffolk County, Long Island, where he lived, but also in the tri-state area, which would be New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. The FBI is also looking at national cases. The news is reporting today that his family likely didn't know about his double life as a serialist before he was arrested. Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison told CNN Monday night how Hoyerman's wife and two adult children reacted to the news. Harrison said, quote, They were disgusted. They were embarrassed. So if you ask me, I don't believe they knew about this double life that Hoyerman was living, end quote. It's hard to believe his family didn't notice anything amiss about their patriarch, 
living in that small house with the large room downstairs that was always locked. I told you about that locked room in yesterday's video, but we have to give the family the benefit of the doubt. Remember, Dennis Rader's family had no clue and their lives were broken in many ways when they learned what their loved one had done. Rader's daughter, Carrie Rawson, has had to find a way to make sense of it, and she's someone who I think has much to offer families like Hoyermans who suddenly find themselves in the same horrendous reality. Right now, all sorts of experts, forensic experts, medical examiners, and anthropologists continue to search for evidence at the Hoyermans' dilapidated home in Massapequa Park, as well as at one or two storage units he had over in the town of Amityville. The medical examiner being present hints that either the investigators found human remains or they think it's possible that they might find some. The police are describing that locked room in the basement as, quote, a walled-off vault that could only be accessed through a metal door. Scary. Lord knows what went on inside that room. I seriously fear that Hoyerman may have taken his victims there before dumping their remains along the beach. I said it yesterday, but it really is very silence of the lambs. Inside that vault, there were not just the 92 weapons that this guy had licenses for. No, instead, there were more like 200 plus, and they even found what looks to be a grenade. Sounds like if you tossed a match at that house, it would explode. My God, it's like this guy wanted to supply an army. Maybe he's simply a collector who likes to hunt, but it still seems excessive. And by the way, remember that creepy life-size doll of a blonde child in a glass display case? Well, it was found in the vault, and you can see in the photo of it that the doll is lying down and holding flowers, much like a deceased person would in a coffin. Is your hair standing straight up right now? Mine is. The profilers are saying that the doll has great symbolism for Hoyerman, but we just don't know yet why or what the symbolism really is. There was also a disturbing drawing or painting of a blonde female with a bruised, battered face. You know they're going to make a movie about this case because it's really the stuff of a Stephen King novel. By the way, all that firepower in the vault is one of the reasons why the police arrested Hoyerman on the streets of Manhattan. They didn't want to risk trying to apprehend him at his house. It was safer to capture him off the premises. So why did this guy feel the need to accumulate so many weapons? His method of harming victims was through the use of his hands and belts. Well, it turns out he's an avid hunter and was said to brag about the venison he prepared from his prey. We can definitely say that Rex Hoyerman was a hunter of both wild game and young female escorts. I still think 200 plus is crazy, though, even for a hunter. 
The property searches have even stretched as far as South Carolina, where the FBI and local authorities raided properties that Hoyerman and his relatives own, including four lots of land that Hoyerman bought in Chester County two years ago when he was telling people there that he was planning to retire in South Carolina. Hoyerman's 57-year-old brother, Craig, lives down the street from those lots, and remember that Chevy Avalanche truck that Hoyerman was spotted driving, parking at victim Amber Costello's house? Well, it's down in South Carolina, and I believe it belongs to Craig. I would love to have a chat with the brother. Perhaps Craig will be able to tell the authorities what happened in Rex's childhood to traumatize him to the point of becoming a serialist? Was it their father's early death when Rex was just 12 years old? Was it that in conjunction with something else? We'll have to wait and see. I was listening to another podcast last night, and legendary criminal profiler Ann Burgess was on, along with Carrie Rawson. Carrie is Dennis Rader's daughter. Burgess said that the way the four women's bodies were left and how they were buried psychologically significant for the perpetrator. So the women were all contacted by a male using a burner phone before they disappeared and were found deceased. They also have all these items in common. They were all found missing clothing and personal items. These articles were likely kept as trophies or souvenirs. All of the victims were bound, some with tape, some with belts, and I think some with both. Three of the four were wrapped in camouflage-printed burlap. The camouflage print clearly was used to conceal the bodies and perhaps also to speed decomposition, but I also wonder if there's more to it. It's almost like the perpetrator wrapped the victim's delicate bodies. Remember, they were all petite, under five feet tall, like fragile Christmas tree ornaments. Hewerman, by contrast, is anywhere from six feet four inches tall to six feet six inches tall. People have referenced both heights, and Lord knows how heavy. He's freaking huge. There's something to this huge man preferring these tiny women, and I think part of it is being able to completely control the victims and to have a large degree of dominance over them. Will we find out that Hewerman felt that he had no control over his life when he was a kid? Is that why he maybe had this need to control these women? The perpetrator also took the time to prepare the bodies in this manner. Is there more to that burlap? Could it be the perpetrator's signature? A criminal signature describes traits and elements of the crime scene that are largely unnecessary to the commitment of the crime. A signature serves as a personal imprint by the perpetrator, and it helps gratify his emotional or psychological desires. A signature can include things like the level of a victim's injuries, how meticulous the perpetrator was in the attack, leaving a note or an object at the crime scene, collecting certain items from the victims, and more. The victim's bodies were also apparently positioned in the same manner. I'm not sure what that position was, but 
the perpetrator obviously took the time to arrange them in some way, and two of the victims' own phones were used after the crimes to taunt their families. The perpetrator would do this by calling the families and bragging about his brutal treatment of their loved ones, meaning how he'd essayed them and then how he did them in. This points to the perpetrator being a very psychopathic, sadistic, individual. Now, it's also coming out that someone placed creepy dolls called timeout dolls at the spots where the Gilgo Four's bodies were found. You see, right after the women's bodies were located, their families would show up there from time to time to hold prayer vigils. They put up crosses in the spots where their loved ones were found, and they would leave like teddy bears, crosses, balloons and flowers to mark those spots. Well, one day when the family showed up to honor their loved ones, they found these timeout dolls placed seemingly overnight on each of the victim's memorial crosses. Apparently these dolls are meant to represent a naughty child being placed in a timeout, hiding their faces as if they're being forced to stand against a wall. Who put those dolls there that day? Was it the perpetrator? Who else would do such a sick thing? Hoyerman had that other life-size child doll in his vault, so could these time-out dolls have been from him to further taunt the suffering families? I think it's likely. Someone said that these time-out dolls are popular for some reason at classic car shows on Long Island. I guess vendors sell them there. I don't know if that's true or why they'd be popular at a car show. Now, I tried to find the photos of the timeout dolls at the crime scene, but apparently they were taken off of Reddit. So if anybody has those, please do me a favor and send them to me. Transition now to some of the other seven sets of remains that were found along the remote stretch in Long Island. Note that some of these may not be linked to Hoyerman. Apparently, some people are saying that this guy is responsible for all 11 victims. Remember that Asian man whose remains were also found? He was found deceased dressed in female clothing. That poor soul was said to have died a violent death. Many are speculating that he may have been someone who tricked Hoyerman into engaging his escort services. Maybe when Hoyerman found out, he went into a rage and let this guy have it. But again, this is pure speculation because those remains have not been tied to Hoyerman, at least not yet. I also want to talk about the female toddler who was named Baby Doe. Her skeletal remains were also found along that desolate stretch in Long Island. Well, she apparently was found through DNA to be the daughter of another unidentified female victim. Now, before I tell you about her mother, let me share some details about how the toddler's remains were found. She was carefully wrapped in a blanket with a 16-inch gold-colored chain and two gold-colored hoop earrings. It's unclear if she was wearing those items or they were found in the blanket, I'm assuming wearing them. Now, TMZ today has a headline saying that Hoyerman may have had an accomplice when he pulled off his evil crimes. Allegedly. Still innocent, right? 
We have to take this with a grain of salt, of course, because it's from, well, TMZ. The bombshell headline comes from an attorney named John Ray, who represents the families of victims Shannon Gilbert and Jessica Taylor. Gilbert and Taylor were among the 11 sets of remains found along that remote stretch, but their deaths have not been attributed, at least not yet, to Rex Hoyerman. So this attorney is claiming that Hoyerman was not a solo operator and allegedly did in the three female escorts whose deaths he's charged with, along with the help of a mysterious accomplice. Ray pointed to Baby Doe and how she was found, quote, swaddled in a blanket. Ray is saying that a savage perpetrator like Hoyerman would not have had such maternal instincts to wrap the infant in a quilt. Ray said, quote, it's that kind of thing that if you're such a depraved murderer, you don't take time to do. That, to me, seems like an act of a mother. We also believe that some of the victims could have been lured by a woman, end quote. Keep in mind, guys, the Suffolk County police officials have not said anything about an accomplice, at least not so far. So this is pure speculation at this point, and I'm wondering if Ray is wrong about Hoyerman lacking the thoughtfulness of a mother. Remember, he somewhat swaddled the three Gilgo Beach victims in that burlap. Couldn't the fact that the baby was swaddled in a blanket be part of a potential signature of this guy? Just my two cents. Now, let's talk more about Baby Doe's mother. Her mother has come to be known as Peaches because of a distinct tattoo of two peaches on a vine that she had on her torso. So Peaches' torso was found stuffed in a plastic bag inside a green Rubbermaid container in a wooded area of Hempstead Lake State Park in Nassau County in 1997. So Peaches was not found along Gilgo Beach or near the 11 sets of remains or near her baby. The distance between Gilgo Beach and Hempstead Lake State Park is approximately 22 miles, and it would take around 31 minutes to drive from one location to the other. Peach's remains were found with a maroon towel and a dark-colored pillowcase with a floral print. Now, more of her remains were found at Jones Beach State Park in 2011. And then, of course, her baby's remains were found near Gilgo Beach. So the mother and child were either slain by Hoyerman or by another as yet unknown perpetrator who was using the same dumping ground. But again, that's highly unusual to find two serialists using the same dumping ground. Note that investigators have said that Peaches was black and between 20 and 30 years old. She had a surgical scar indicating that she'd had a cesarean section. So now the question is, which, if any, of these other victims will be linked to Rex Hoyerman? Time will tell. That's all for now. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories. See you guys soon. I had a question for you. I assumed he just wanted to do some work together, um, but he 
always maybe a little bit uncomfortable. I also wanted to touch base. Dominique Vidal says Hurman left her that message in late February. When she left a networking group for architects and designers, she says they were both in. Hurman apparently up until his arrest Thursday. She recalls some of their now chilling past conversations. And then he asked me if I knew about the Gilgo Beach murders. Um, and back then, I was like, oh, you know, he's just from that area. But now I just see it as a serial killer um, kind of just putting it in somebody's face. Yeah, I, I think he was leading certainly a double life. Investigators say Hurman's obsessive web searches about the case, his use of burner phones and DNA extracted from pizza crust helped tie him to the murders of three women, making him a prime suspect for... As you can imagine, the arrest sent shockwaves through a quiet Long Island neighborhood as police swarmed the suspect's home. CBS 2's Dick Brennan went to Massapequa Park to get reaction from some very stunned neighbors. Into the night, people in Massapequa Park did their best to get a glimpse of the home of the suspected serial killer living right in their midst. It's creepy, really. I mean, if you look at the house, I mean, he kind of stands out, but uh, it's it's creepy. It's weird. It's a quiet town. Everyone knows each other. Nothing really goes on. So it was just surprising to hear and kind of scary. I was like, holy crap. Um, unbelievable right now, town. James Pagano couldn't believe when he heard the name of the suspect because he went to high school with Rex Hurman. He was uh, very quiet, dark, um, kept to himself, and um, he was extremely intelligent, very smart. So just who is Rex Hurman? He grew up on Long Island, but he worked in Midtown, an architect who ran a company called RH Consultants and Associates. How you doing? Good to see you. YouTuber Antoine Amiro, who runs a page called Bonjour Realty, interviewed Hurman about his work a year ago. What has this job uh, taught you about yourself? I think it's taught me more about how to understand people. I really was stood out. Is his, uh, his attention to details. He was very knowledgeable, very detail-oriented. Amira told us Hurman had a distinct physical presence. Intimidating, no. Imposing, uh, yes, very, very imposing. He is ahead of both me, a very large person. I still remember uh, his handshake when we met. Very strong. A very strong handshake. It was like you, you were shaking like a very thick, piece of marble. That's how strong his hand was. CBS2 was outside Hurman's office at 36th and 5th as authorities carried out at least four computers. And now the investigation continues. Uh, 